already know I wanna be free. wanna be free I wanna be free. wanna be free Welcome to Liberty Chats, produced by members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council. Thank you for joining us. We talk to a variety of experts, leaders, journalists, and policymakers about our nation's founding principles, why they are still so relevant and essential to preserving freedom for everyone, what specific challenges and threats they face today, and how those founding principles best safeguard and empower everyone's ability, young and old, to attain prosperity and personal happiness. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Liberty Chats, a podcast from the Steamboat Institute. My name is Anastasia Ratcliffe, and I am a member of the Emerging Leaders Council, a leadership program out of the Institute, and I'm excited to be here today. My guest is Carrie Sheffield. I apologize if I'm saying that incorrectly. Carrie is the 2021-2022 Tony Blankley Fellow for Public Policy and American Exceptionalism um, at the Steamboat Institute. And Carrie, you have quite a, an accomplished rap sheet that I don't know where to begin. So maybe I'll hand it over to you to uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. Thanks, Anastasia. Great to be here. And I love the Steamboat Institute and glad to be here too. And rap sheet, that's an interesting phrase because <laughs> we know what that means. Uh, it's a, it certainly is a, a battle, the battle of ideas. And I've been engaged in the battle of ideas for quite some time now. And I'm passionate about how ideas spread. I'm passionate about uh, really understanding where ideas come from and also the impact of, you know, on future generations of those ideas. And I am a big believer in American exceptionalism. Um, and I guess believer is not the right word though, because it is, uh, I've observed how, you know, traveling the world, I've been to every continent, including Antarctica before I turned 30. Uh, I lived in London and lived in Jerusalem in the Middle East and traveled all over, reported from Asia. And I'm just struck. And every time, you know, I, I learn and as a student of history, um, seeing what America, where it came from, where it is now, um, it is a true miracle. And so in my life as a journalist, I've covered Congress for The Hill, Politico, and I was very privileged to work for Tony Blinkley, whose namesake is this uh, fellowship with the Steamboat Institute. Um, I have been able to report and just tell the stories of freedom uh, around the world. And so um, I'm just grateful to be here. Excellent. And so from your experience, having traveled the world and seen, you know, many different countries, many different cultures, what is one aspect or maybe one exercise of American freedom that you feel may go underappreciated by um, Americans today that perhaps other countries don't get to experience? I think a big one that we have now, but I see it under threat, unfortunately, um, is freedom of the press and freedom of speech. That's something that is truly uh, not respected in in most of the world, I would say. Um, When you're looking at what happens with China and the repression there um, in Russia and 
a lot of parts of South America, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, Middle East, that the notion of freedom of the press um, is something that it's it's really sad to see how American journalists um, squander that freedom, I believe. And the, uh, you know, to tell the stories to fight against totalitarianism in a place like China or Cuba uh, as a journalist and face imprisonment and, you know, beatings and possible death. Um, we're so privileged here. But what I find so upsetting is that, um, again, this marketplace of ideas, the American press is failing um, to be truth tellers. And it's just so sad because the reason I went into journalism um, was I wanted to tell the truth. And I wanted to, I did believe that there was, uh, I was very naive, <laughs> that there was an objective way to to really uh, cover multiple facets and be even-handed and objective. Um, but unfortunately, that's not the case. And, and this is extending not just in the press, but also freedom of speech on college campuses, in corporate America. Um, our legacy of freedom of expression, um, sadly, it's under attack right now. How do we defend that legacy? It, it feels like oftentimes a lot of the language used um, seems very, either very extreme or very dismissive, right? Either we live under total totalitarianism, there we go, I'm getting it out, or um, perhaps it's not a great deal to other folks. And assumingly the truth lies somewhere in the middle, how do we, how do we bring this all together to create the, the world and the environment and, and the press that the American people deserve? You know, I've, I've written a lot about this and looked at a lot of the studies and I, till I'm blue in the face, <laughs> I try to tell journalists the uh, there's been a multi-decade collapse in trust in the media and it's driven primarily by conservative and Republicans and the liberals in the media, they don't care. They truly don't care um, that they are so disconnected from the reality of so many millions of Americans. And so that's what I find upsetting um, is because I find this, this is the, what the reason I was attracted to journalism was because I, I thought it was about uh, speaking up for the little guy. And when I see the policies of the left and how they have uh, decimated, you know, communities of color, they set women back, they create a culture of dependence, uh, cycles of intergenerational poverty and dependence rather than independence and self-determination and flourishing. Um, this is really upsetting because the media keeps saying that the, the problem is always the Republicans. It's always the Republicans. But when you look at these areas, the most vulnerable areas, they've been under liberal Democrat control now for decades. So I think the first uh, solution to this problem is to diagnose it accurately. But unfortunately, we can't even get the liberal media to accept the diagnosis. That's that's the first step is to admit I have a problem. <laughs> and uh, And I think part of why you do see some of the extremism on the right is it's it's not justified at all, and I I don't I don't condone it. Um, but I think that a lot of just common sense, good natured, good people 
um, feel like the mainstream media has just lost it. And so, uh, so they're angry. So I, I, I do wish that we lived in a time that was less polarizing. Um, I think the, the idea in media that if it bleeds, it leads, that conflict is what sells. Um, you know, how do you balance the need for, yes, having a robust exchange of ideas, but the way our culture is now, people also want to be entertained. So it's sort of this crossroads of um, we can't put the genie back in the bottle. We can't, but we can also recognize number one, we have a problem. And then number two, talk about it. And that's how you walk through it. That's how you, um, I'm working on a book right now about how liberal America, specifically white liberal America has failed black America. And I go through chapter by chapter and I diagnose what's gone wrong. Um, and I, I hope it can provide some good answers uh, about what we need to do moving forward. Absolutely. And so based on the research you're doing from that book and your own experience, how do we, how do we sit down and engage and have meaningful conversation with those family members or friends who might hold different political ideologies uh, than we do? So for me, I think a big part of it is what, what's the spirit that you're approaching it in? Are you approaching from a spirit of assuming good faith on the other part, the other party. Um, I think so much of what's happening now is this deep mistrust. Um, and so if you're approaching at it from, I care about this person, I believe they're a good person. I believe they want good for the world. I think that's the first step. Uh, for me personally, I am a practicing Christian and I emphasize the word practicing because I'll never be there. Um, but I try my best and a big part of the Christian walk is forgiveness, um, learning to both forgive others, but also to ask for forgiveness. That's what the Lord prayers, the Lord's prayer says to father, forgive me, my trespasses, but help me to forgive those who've trespassed against me. And so I think putting that into practice, um, and that's the opposite of cancel culture. You know, cancel culture says there is no forgiveness. Cancel culture says there is, uh, once you have uttered something, uh, you're irredeemable. And I, I don't believe that. I believe that everyone is redeemable, um, but it does require uh, recognition, apology, contrition, and desire to change. Um, but I think these are all places to start from. And I think that uh, even if you have a massive policy disagreement, you can still come away from one of those conversations uh, with greater understanding, empathy, and even love uh, for whoever you're talking with. Absolutely. I think that's just so beautifully and so well said and certainly something that the world um I think that the world is thirsting for and really needs. Uh, just to pivot a little bit, um, I know that some of your background is uh, related to, to finance and economics as well as history. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your experience and your philosophy around free market capitalism and perhaps um, maybe how that gets misunderstood or misconstrued in the media? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that right now what we're seeing in American history is 
something that is bizarre, really, because um, people are judging the past through a very narrow and myopic and inaccurate lens. And it's demonizing the founders of America and folks like Christopher Columbus without looking where they were in context um, and also looking uh, to see what they did in terms of laying the framework and the blueprint for the amazing wealth and abundance that we have here in America today. So I am all for telling an unvarnished truth of who someone was if they, for example, held slaves. That is evil. Holding slaves is evil. Full stop. And we should talk about that legacy of slavery. We shouldn't try to hide it. Um, We shouldn't try to hide or minimize the impact of slavery. But the problem with groups, for example, like the 1619 Project is they want to overemphasize the impact of slavery. Uh, That project tries to tie uh, the slave trade to things that are really just a stretch. Um, And that series of essays has been debunked by so many different historians and journalists. And um, it's really unfortunate that uh, this propaganda and these lies um, are now being spread in K through 12 schools across the country. And I think that's why you're seeing such a pushback from parents of all colors. Um, a lot of African-American parents, they don't like what's happening with this critical race theory because they say it's neo-segregationalism. It's, it's again, separating and dividing and judging people based on skin color rather than their character. And the fact of the matter is that I'll give an example Uh, Christopher Columbus and the Native Americans. That history is complex and you can't just paint Christopher Columbus as the villain and the indigenous people as the the victim and the the saints to be put on pedestals to tear him down because I have Native American ancestry and based on what we know from the Utah historical records down in Southern Utah, um, where my ancestors are from, uh, they believe that one of my Native American ancestors was taken slave by another Native American tribe because slavery was very common among Native American tribes. Um, other barbaric practices um, were common in Native American tribes, um, such as you know human sacrifices, ripping your heart out of a living human being, uh, scalping people, uh, raping, pillaging. Um, so the notion that they were just these innocent bystanders who were mercilessly slaughtered um, is just false. And the notion that we should be ashamed and live in perpetual shame um, because of our ancestors doesn't make sense because uh, that's just not how our judicial system works. I don't have to live with the sin of my parents. If my father was a murderer That doesn't make me a murderer. And uh, we certainly need to have empathy and do all we can to help those who have suffered. But at the same time, you can't punish and put the sins of the father on the sins of the children. And that that's something that has been at the core of why America has been different, because 
in America compared to places like Europe and everywhere else in the world. Um, the the caste system, I mean, the caste system is so strong in India, um, you know, over a billion people. The caste system is all about your parents and where do they fall in this hierarchy. America is not about hierarchies. It never has been. It shouldn't be. Uh, it's, it's true documents of the way they were supposed to be interpreted. It's not hierarchical. But the way that uh, initially it was set up, it was. Only white landowning males could vote. So that is a very hierarchical small group. But the founding principles, they actually said that all human beings were made in the image of God and that all men are created equal. So the fact that we have been in this continual march of progress, that's the American story that makes us uh, so much wealthier than every other country. That's why so many black, brown, every race of millions of people are desperate to come here. They wouldn't want to come here. These uh, people of color wouldn't want to risk everything to come here if there wasn't something worth dying for. Absolutely. I don't even, I, I'm struggling to find the words because I think you just encapsulated so many beautiful and powerful elements of, of being an American, of why patriotism um, is so valuable, why many people are, are searching to come to this country, even still, despite all of our uh, non-perfection, we, America still, still, in my opinion, tends to be the greatest place in the world. Um, and I think that you you summed it up really, really beautifully there. And so as as we near the end of our time together, where would you direct um, individuals who want to learn more, but maybe are skeptical of biased media or biased journalism? I've talked with um, multiple individuals who I think are asking the who are asking important questions but don't know where to find. Um, reputable answers? Well, I think a great place to start for anybody who loves the history of ideas and really wants to understand things, get your hands on anything by Thomas Sowell that you can. I'm on a massive Thomas Sowell kick. He's a brilliant economist. He's in his 90s now. We're still lucky to still have him. Um, PhD from University of Chicago, Harvard undergrad, Columbia master's. He's African-American. And he understands the nature of everything when you're talking about incentives, behavior, and he understands the truth behind what's happening uh, with race, conflict, uh, class, inequality. That would be right now for me, a number one source. Uh, and Jason Riley is a close second. He just came out with a biography of Thomas Sowell. Jason Riley is one of my favorite living writers. He's a Wall Street Journal opinion columnist um, and also a scholar with the Manhattan Institute. So that's Manhattan Institute is a great resource as well. Um, I read the Wall Street Journal opinion page every day. Um, we obviously have great content at our website, iwf.org, the Independent Women's Forum. That's where myself and another Blankley, uh, several Blankley fellows, um, we are fellows there as well and, and uh, policy analysts. So I think that's a start. Follow me on Twitter. I put out more stuff there. I'm at Carrie Sheffield and uh, love to see you there. Marvelous. Well, 
Carrie, we could talk for forever, but I just want to uh, express my appreciation and listening both appreciation for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us today. Um, to our audience, thank you so much for joining us for Liberty Chats today, and we will see you in two weeks for the next episode. Thank you for listening to today's Liberty Chat. I'm Erica Anderson, the producer of the podcast. Our podcast editor is Fingers Malloy. My co-producers include Charlotte Whalen, Zachary Rogers, Lindsay Martin, and Christina Eastman, all members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council, who represent the next generation of free market, free speech leadership. We hope you tune in again for our next Liberty Chat episode. Mistakes, girl, you already know. I wanna be, wanna be free. I wanna be, wanna be free. Yeah.